Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz, and today I have Scott Silverston of Shamanic Spirit Medicine with me today. Scott is a leader in the international shamanic teaching community, serving students and clients in dozens of countries around the world. Scott is a graduate of Duke University and former director of a major private trade finance company who quit the corporate world to dedicate his career to making a positive impact on the web of life. One of the main focal points of his teaching is to normalize shamanic consciousness as an ancient and effective method of achieving balance, both personally and collectively. Scott, welcome to Raise the Vibe with Liz. How's it going? Thanks, Liz. Thank you for having me. So great to have you. So let's jump right in. And how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to shamanism? Sure. Um, Well, I was born intuitive and empathic in Manhattan, which is probably not the easiest place in the world to be intuitive and empathic. Um, And so what I found as I was growing up was a, a knowing. So some people see they're clair, clairvoyant and they see colors and things and auras. Some people hear messages, some people feel things, some people know things. So I'm, I kind of go to that part of knowing and feeling. Sometimes I hear messages, I don't see a lot of pictures. So what would happen, it was, it was often a little uncomfortable for me walking in a crowded area and you know getting knowledge about different people, even people I didn't in, know personally. And just these like, knowings would come in and I would feel stuff all the time. And I quickly found out that I was not a shared experience among a lot of my classmates, or at least if it was a shared experience, it wasn't one that they were willing to discuss with me. Um, And so that kept, that kept me, um, I'll say a little different than uh, the majority that was just kind of going with the flow of, of being a boy in New York city. Um, And so that sparked in me an interest to explore different states of consciousness, different awareness to understand, well, why is it when I have an experience and I can um, self-heal myself, move the energy through my body, or I know something before before it happens, precognitive, why am I having these experiences? And is it just me or does everybody have these abilities and they're just turned off? Um, And so as I continue to search for answers, what I found is that most people have these abilities innately, that it's part of the human condition. Some people are more sensitized to it than others. Some people are more um, prone to that, but it's actually something that everybody shares and we've just turned that off and it's become kind of a taboo subject within mainstream America. Um, Now, it was much more of a taboo subject in the 70s and 80s while I was growing up than it is now in 2021. Okay, there's a lot more awareness, a lot more acceptance. And still, what I find is that there's a big divide between um, an embodiment of that and an acceptance of it. 
And so what's happened, my, my perception of what's happened now is that it's become kind of cool to have these out-of-body experiences, but it's just the experience without the teaching, right? And what, what's really, I find important is that we embody and experience the experience, not with like, oh my God, that's so cool. You had an out-of-body experience, but actually, well, what did you learn? What did you observe? And are, are we able to ground and embody those experiences in day-to-day life? Um, so essentially, if I have an insight about humanity's condition, it doesn't do much good if I can't embody it. It just because it's just it's just a thought. But until I embody it and act on it and and walk that way, walk in the world, then I'm able to have it make a difference. Otherwise, it's just any other ph- philosophy or speculation. Did you go through any other healing modalities before you found shamanism? I did. I went, I went through lots of different healing modalities. Um, yeah, I, st- I actually have a, a degree in Ayurvedic medicine, um, which I received in 1999. Uh, I've been studying Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, and the internal martial arts since 2003 and teaching that. Um, I've studied energy healing um, through the Chinese modality, I have a, I won't say professional interest, but at least a uh, hobby, hobbyist interest in all sorts of massage therapy techniques like uh, Bowen therapy, emic technique, uh, craniosacral, structural integration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've always worked, you know, on my family, I don't work as a massage therapist, I never have, but on my friends and family, I'm the one who, hey, can you help me out with this? And so I can feel the different muscles and they just, it just kind of talks to me. So it's not really anything that I um, learned formally, though I have taken some formal schooling in, in those other subjects that I, that I mentioned, but it, it's just an exploration, a constant exploration and lots of reading. And I think it's important um, for people to understand that you can read there's so many, there's so much good literature out there right now. One of the, one of the huge advantages of our technological age, in addition to that, you can be sitting on Vashon Island and I can be sitting in Kauai and we can be looking at each other and having this conversation is that we, the, all the information from so many different cultures is available to us at the tips of our fingers right now. Um, so it's important. I think it, I encourage everybody to research in different ways and read different things and, take it all with a little grain of salt because everybody's coming from their own perspective. And at the same time, we can look at what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And just because it may not work for you personally, doesn't mean that it's not a valid modality. It just means that that isn't really what resonates with you. Like I would never be a surgeon, but there's definitely a use for surgery out there in the world. But I couldn't, personally, I couldn't stomach that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Have you pulled from these other modalities into your practice? Um, mainly from the uh, Taoist internal arts. So that's, that's my, the main modality that I uh, pull from as far as the, and, and sh- shamanism, obviously. Um, yeah, so, it's, so when, when I do session work uh, with people, I combine the internal martial arts and the, he- the healing aspect of the martial arts as far as ha- what it means to have the energy flow effectively through the body. So what, what does qi flow mean? And you cannot really examine that without also looking at acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine and 
if you're coming from a Taoist perspective, right? Uh, yeah. You can you could look at it from the Vedic perspective as well. But they all point to the same thing, which is that we want the energy flowing smoothly, uh, like a nice calm river. So we don't want it backed up or pooled. And we also don't want it to flow through like a wave, you know, a tidal wave or a flash flood. That's not helpful. You know, that, we call that fight or flight. Um, yeah. Um, so when I, when I do sessions, I work on where, are, where is the energy obstructed in somebody's uh, body. And then we, then we, so really for me, when I'm doing the energy healing with people, I'm, a, I'm using that more as a tool for assessment. And then underneath what I'll do is I'll work on with the shamanic work of what is actually causing that. What's the spiritual cause of that blockage? Sometimes it's, I have an injury, right? A physical injury. I fell off my bike. I broke my arm. Okay. That's, that's something else. But then there's most of the times it's spiritual injury relating to emotional um, trapped emotions that are still being held inside that are being magnetized. And so we can get to that through the uh, shamanic work. Yes, we can. So what made you zero in on the shamanic work as being your main um, focus in life? Um, I have to say it just happened. Nice. (laughs) It didn't, I didn't really have, I, I didn't, I wasn't, planned. Um, Prior to uh, doing this professionally, I ran an outdoor uh, adventure company, um, private hiking and adventure company. And we were, I was taking people backpacking and just spending as much time as nature as I, in nature as I possibly could, and having to reconcile that with paying my mortgage. Um, So, so I ended up taking people hiking all over Kauai (laughs) for um, a number of years. Uh, about 10 years. And then what was happening increasingly was that while we were out and about, people were opening themselves to me, partially because we had this expansive time and space together in the beauty of nature and the energy of, of nature flowing through, but just also that healing energy from my own personal practices. So I've been doing my own shamanic practices, my own Tai Chi and Qigong and practices many, many years prior to offering the services professionally. And people just started to literally ask me for sessions. And then it went to, um, okay, I need to do this full time because if I'm doing a hike and doing a session, that's a whole different thing than just going for a walk. Right. <laughs> and so, so I transitioned into doing the healing work. And then, and then what happened is somebody literally contacted me out of the blue and she said, um, hey, will you teach me what you do? And I said, okay. And so she came over for five weeks and I developed a program and literally I had no idea how I was going to teach her what I was doing. So the first I would journey, I would do my shamanic journey and then we would meet the next day for three hours and I would share with her. I go until the point where she was filled up with enough that could be integrated that day. And I was like, okay, come back tomorrow or the next day. And in, in the interim, I would journey again on, well, what's the next thing that this person needs to learn? Mm. And, and so we repeated this for five weeks. And at the end of it, there was kind of the basis or the outline of a curriculum. And I thought, oh, wow, that was kind of cool. And then back in, back in those days, I didn't really check Facebook at all. And one day I checked and I had a message sitting there for over two weeks in Messenger because um, I never checked it, right? And it was somebody else from, uh, from the UK who 
was inquiring, I want to this literally the same words. I want to learn what you do. Is there a way that you can teach me? And I had nothing on my website about that. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to you. Um, it's been two weeks. I'm really sorry about that. Um, I just don't check this platform. Let's schedule a call. And so we had a little video chat and then she came over and she came for six weeks and we basically did the same thing. And as that was finishing, there was a woman who came for a session and she said, I've got to bring my friend for a session. And she brings her friend and her friend goes, I'm not going back to the mainland. They were, they were here on another retreat. I'm not going back to the mainland. I need to learn what you do. And I said, okay. And it was like literally at the same exact same timing as this woman was fin finishing her program. I'm like, well, we can start next week. And so we did that for three months. And then as she was ending, somebody else. So this went on for literally a year. And at the end of that year, there were um, uh, four people who wanted to do a training. And so we did a week long training. And then I said, okay, spirit, I get it. I'll put it on my website. <laughs> That I do that I do teaching work. Thank you for, you know, I was a little slow on the uptake there that this is what I was supposed to do. But I also saw in that time, actually, at the very at the end of the very first uh, teaching session with the first person, I was given a vision through the shamanic journeys of a ripple going out on on a still lake. And it basically the meaning of it was that, look, if you help one person in a session, you're helping them and it spreads out. But if you teach people, then it was multiple ripples, you know, coming out from different epicenters, then it's going to ripple out into the web of life with such a more profound um, effect that this is really what you need to do because you can, you can reach so many more people by teaching them to do this type of work. That is amazing. You were really getting the call. It's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, literally. So that's like, how did you get here? Like, I don't know. I just, I just kind of got put here. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I love how the path can work like that sometimes. Thanks. Just, here it is. And then you go with it and it develops into what it's supposed to be or, well, it's all right. developing, but right. Well, yeah, that's right. It, it kind of, it kind of, it's more a matter of listening. That's absolutely correct. It, it's more a matter of listening to where I'm being guided mm -hmm. um, than trying to impose my will upon my life path. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. And for those who don't know, what are the benefits of doing this work? Okay. So the benefits of the shamanic work is, I don't even know if I can outline all those benefits <laughs> in, at one point. Um, primarily it resolves through the shamanic work. We can resolve all the inner conflicts that we hold over time. Okay. It's not a one time, you know, we're not going to sit down in one session and resolve all our inner conflicts. That's not going to happen. Okay. If we tried to do that, we would literally melt. <laughs> okay. Cause so one of the things that I'm really big on uh, is making sure there's enough integration time and not trying to do too much at once, going back to that metaphor of the flash flood. Mm -hmm. So with the shamanic work, and, and I just want to state, I do the shamanic work just with a drum. So we enter what's called the shamanic state of consciousness uh, with a drum. And I don't use any type of psychoactive plants, uh, what people call plant medicines these days. Um, and I do that for a number of reasons. One is that it's really hard to take a plant medicine and then go pick your daughter up from school um, later in the afternoon. So it doesn't make me functional within 
the day-to-day society as a Western society is set up. Uh, if I was living in a Amazon tribal village where that was the accepted norm that you could spend three days talking to whatever uh, spirit you were talking to, then there was a support system for that. That might be appropriate in that context, but that's not how our day-to-day life is set up as Westerners. Uh, But there's also other drawbacks to that is that what that does is it, it puts on the tap so strongly that oftentimes what we're doing is we're just rearranging our stuff without actually resolving it. And so it becomes in the end, yeah, we may have resolved this here, but it's just moved to another place. And now we have our life in chaos. And I've actually worked with a lot of people who have had amazing insights uh, in taking plant medicine, but then have been unable to ground them day to day in their life. And then they've been, you know, two months, six months later in great distress. And we've come, they've come to me for help and help them kind of get their grounding back. Now, other people have been able to work with plant medicine and hold that container, but I would say that's not the norm. I'd say that's more of the exception. Um, And also you have to understand in a tribal society, they're talking to the spirits of the plants from the time they're born, right? And so as a Westerner going to a tribal society and then ingesting a plant spirit that you have just met, that is just not the way it's done, okay? It's the, you know, every five-year-old can not only tell you every, in, in a tribal society that's connected to the earth, not only can tell you all the plants that around their the settlement, but knows this is already beginning to speak to the spirits of those plants. And they don't, they're not taking ayahuasca when they're five. Okay. So they have this long-term relationship with it before they ingest it. It's the same thing as like chain smoking cigarettes, as opposed to taking sacred tobacco ceremony. Okay. And so it's really important. I know that's a little diversion off your question, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's important to understand that when we change, we want things to change in a sustainable way. So with the shamanic work, as I do it, um, we're teaching ourselves to be able to change sustainably. And primarily with the teaching, I'm helping each individual connect directly to great spirit and to ground that into mother earth. So there's no hierarchy in the way that I teach, right? There, there's, I'm, te- I'm trying to empower each individual for their own connection, their own grounding, and their own energetic self-protection, right? And that way it can never be taken. See, because so many times people will teach it as a, in a hierarchical manner. And then when there's a hierarchical manner, there's always the disciples will say, oh, well, he said this. No, he said that. And then and it splits. <laughs> okay, so here we're talking about an individual connection with creator. And that's what I mean when I talk about restoring our normalizing shamanic consciousness, because shamanic consciousness is about understanding that every rock, plant, tree, animal spirit has a spirit and we can communicate to that and that we are part of a web of life. We're not the commanders and rulers of the web of life. And we certainly have a job as caretakers and custodians of the web of life because humans human beings have a unique place in that we're able to envision with creator 
that creative spirit and then manifest something into the future, um, which is what you were saying of how did I come to this path, mm-hmm. right? So we, we're able to envision and, and then move forward according to our vision, whereas most animals, they look more as to instinct of following. And so with the shamanic consciousness, what, what I'm doing is I'm connecting with creator, I'm asking for guidance, and then I'm following that guidance and I'm moving forward according to the guidance I'm given, even when it's not what I want to hear. And that's a really important point because sometimes it's not what we want, what our egos want to hear. Okay. When, and, and that's when we know it's the difference between shamanic journeying versus fantasy. Okay. If, if it's a fantasy, you're going to fantasize whatever you want whatever your ego demands. But when you go into shamanic state of consciousness and you get a message that is kind of humbling you or your ego, or maybe just telling you, Hey, what you're desiring isn't going to work out that way. You know that you're not making that up. You know that that's, that's not a fantasy. Okay. And so when we follow that, we follow this guidance, we follow the guidance of spirit and then it brings us where we need to be. And quite honestly, if you said, 10 years ago, if you had asked me if I'd be doing what I was doing today, I'd be like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> that sounds great. But honestly, I'd never even envisioned the possibility of it. It wasn't something that I thought of. It wasn't a pre-planned thing. But if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I'd go, wow, that would be great. I'd love to be doing that. Um, but it just happened because I was following my guidance of where I needed, needed to be. That's great. That's awesome. And I love how organic and natural the process sounds. You know, you've, um, like I read on your um, website that you don't teach uh, culturally specific ceremonies, which I really appreciate. And that like organic, natural way that you just take people, it sounds like, and connect them and guide them through and teach them how to follow their own guidance. And really like tapping into that, um, that personal sovereignty of their own journey. That's right. I call it spiritual sovereignty. Sweet. Actually. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's important what you talk about uh, with culture, because there is such a thing as cultural appropriation yep. and, and that's not appropriate. Am I allowed to say appropriation and appropriate that's... in the same sentence? I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. That, but that's, that's, that's not appropriate in my book. Okay. So there's a big difference between, talking about the four directions, north, south, east, and west, connection to Father Sky and Mother Earth. That's kind of common across many cultures and to all humanity. It's just as everybody dreams, okay, everybody can access the shamanic state of consciousness volitionally um, by using a drum, by meditating. There are many different techniques for getting in there. Okay. Now, if you take that and you go, now I'm going to do a nipi, which is a su- Lakota sweat, sweat lodge ceremony, all of a sudden now I'm taking somebody else's methodology and trying to make it my own. And that's not appropriate. Now I can certainly go and sit in a sweat uh, if I've been invited, but I would never be the head man or the, the person running that sweat unless I had trained in their very specific methodology of it and been granted that, um, specifically by the lineage holder, been told, yes, you are now ready, according to our traditions. And it's not even up for debate. 
right? Whether their traditions are, it's not even up for today. It's their traditions. It's their choice, whether or not they want, you know, this is how they do it. And the thing about ceremony that we need to understand is that ceremony is something that's done over time within a culture to help people achieve a certain result. And oftentimes it's to maintain the order within that culture. Sometimes it's to get us out of our thinking mind to be able to access shamanic consciousness if it's that type of a ceremony. But there's many different types of ceremonies out there that have nothing to do with shamanism, right? There's a graduation ceremony, there's a wedding ceremony, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're all different according to the different cultures that they come from. So what I want, what I want to work with people on is just this idea that shamanic consciousness is a normal part of our human awareness. And that just, it's just as normal and common as having a dream at night when you go to sleep. And of course, that's also a very misunderstood aspect of our experience as human beings is our is dreaming. Um, and how do we access this? This is a whole realm of mental or psychic ability that is available to every individual uh, who wants to use it in right relationship if they want to take the time. Um, and all we really need to do is we need to learn how to turn off our thinking mind, silence our internal dialogue, get that logical mind to stop thinking for a little while, and then move into what I call our spiritual mind. And uh, that's our limbic, that's part of our limbic system, right? And, and what's coincidental is that the limbic system is also where fight or flight is stored. And so that's where our trauma responses are. And so a lot of people, when they look at like um, even police and FBI, when they're interviewing people, they'll look for limbic responses because they don't lie. Right. And, and I'm sure we've all heard about this, like the, somebody nervously touching their hair. There's all sorts of different limbic responses and they can't be controlled. And if you try and if a person tries to control them, they actually give themselves away more. Right. By trying to. This is the same part of the brain that we use to access shamanic consciousness. And so what that means is that these limbic responses that we have, which are all, and I'm not talking about the innocuous ones like, oh, I'm gonna cross my arms if I feel insecure. I'm talking about the fight or flight responses, the trauma responses that are really wreaking havoc in somebody's life. They can't be reprogrammed through affirmation or thinking because it happens before the thoughts happen. The shamanic work allows us to get underneath that because we're working directly with the limbic system and we can reprogram what's happening in there. It's literally like we're uninstalling and reinstalling programs within our mental computer. Um, and what I call, you know, people call it contracts. I call them agreements. Uh, you can call it whatever you want to do, operating system, whatever word you want to use. But the fact is, is that there's many agreements that we have personally that run our lives and they, they exist underneath the level of our belief systems. Right. And they operate in spite of our belief systems. They actually determine our belief systems. So we cannot affirm ourselves with positive affirmation into changing something that's existing on a subconscious level. It doesn't happen. We can try and try and try. Like I can say, I'm a good public speaker. I'm a good public speaker. I'm a good public speaker. And then I get up there and I'm like sweating bullets and nervous and stuttering. <laughs> in front of a group of 400 people, because no matter how many times I did that affirmation, 
as soon as I saw the crowd, ah, right. And then somebody else, they're just like, oh yeah, I just look at people and it's normal. And, and I just talk to them like I'm, I'm sitting with them in, in my living room. It doesn't affect them. So it's, it's different people have different ways. So underneath that is some form of an agreement of, um, you know, for example, someone who has a problem speaking in public might have an agreement that I'm actually not, um, I'm, I actually don't know what I'm talking about, or I'm actually not worthy of love and appreciation from others. Um, and until that's gone, the public speaking issue isn't going to go away and many other issues that are, that are rooted into that. So this is what we work with in the shamanic work and what came out of this series of uh, people who came to me and asked me to teach them what I do was a specific methodology and program to help us reprogram our limbic system um, to uproot the old agreements, replace them with new agreements. And that's something that I haven't seen taught anywhere else. Um, and certainly not explicitly talked about. Uh, the other thing that we also focus on is I have a lot, most of the people, I'd say probably 75% of the students who uh, train with me either already work in the healing arts or plan to work professionally in the healing arts. And so one of the big things we focus on is not, not taking on um, the emotional backlog of our clients. So if you have Reiki practitioners come, I've had a lot of Reiki practitioners come and they're beautiful, wonderful people. And oh my God, they're just carrying around so much stuff that's not theirs. <laughs> and massage therapists, and they've taken on all the suffering of their clients. And so we work a lot on how basically not to do that. And that also goes back to changing the agreements, which is a lot of times rooted in this idea of martyrdom that I need to suffer, I need to, um, sacrifice myself for the benefit of somebody else. Well, guess what? We can actually help somebody else and thrive simultaneously. We don't have to do it from a place of self-sacrifice. And in fact, it's not a good idea to do it from a place of self-sacrifice because what that implies then is that in order to do good, we must sacrifice ourselves. So if you don't wanna sacrifice yourself, you're gonna do something that's harmful. And if you are a martyr, you're not gonna be around long enough to make any difference anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Big exhale on that one. But that's a very predominant um, agreement within our society. Uh, the wounded healer, the impoverished healer, the, you know, you name it. I'm sure you see it over and over again. Yes. Wow. What great work you're doing. That's fantastic. Thanks. So when someone calls you and says, teach me how to do what you do, what are they asking for? Um, well, now it's a little different because I actually have a website that describes what I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think at the time it was, I think at the time it was um, coming from a place of, wow, that session was amazing. It really helped. I want to be able to help other people in that way. Can you show me how to do that? Nice. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much where it came from. And, and you now, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think, I think now um, we've articulated a little bit more clearly that uh, on, on the website that, you know, you, first thing we learn is how to access shamanic consciousness um, with a drum to go into the shamanic state of consciousness and return, uh, how to work with animal spirits, how to work with our upper world teachers, and also how to work with the ancestor spirits. That's something that's been overlooked a lot in the modern shamanic community is that, you know, animist societies worked a lot with the ancestors. 
as well as with our animal spirits and uh, upper world guides. Okay, so that, and then working with basic tenants like what is right relationship, um, how to scan the energy body, uh, how to do self-healing on that, how to do basic divination work, that type of thing, uh, how to regulate ground, spiritual grounding. That's in our fundamentals course. And then when we go into our intermediate training, uh, what we work on is a very deliberate, slow process over two to three months of uprooting our old agreements and replacing them with new agreements. And it has to be a slow process to learn that technique. It, it just builds over time, a little bit, a little bit at a time. And with that, uh, we're also working on our spiritual self-care. So I call the intermediate training shamanic self and self-protection and personal growth. And so we're really working on these, this idea that as we uproot these agreements in our resonate with uh, the emotional stuck emotions of our clients, because we don't actually agreements. And if you look around societally and globally, and I know this is going to be a little confrontational uh, or confronting is we have some very nasty agreements in our global society. Like the way to get what you want is through violence. Yeah. And if you look around the world today and you tell me that's not an agreement with billions of people, then I'm not going to believe you. Now I don't subscribe to that agreement and I don't think you subscribe to that agreement, but we certainly have been affected by that agreement. Okay. So we might not embody that day to day. I certainly don't go and like, wow, to take their ice cream cone, um, right? That's not my way of being, but there, this is like actually part of a, and we, we do need to be aware that, that these are things that are happening in the world. There's another one that uh, you're not God to connect directly to creator, that you need an intermediary. Now you may not believe that. And I don't, I certainly don't believe that. I spent a lot of time teaching people not to believe that, but it ain't. And it causes a lot of problems, a lot of self-worth issues. Um, so it's a slow process where we identify that. The beauty of that is that once we uproot one or two dozen of these core agreements that are shared by a lot of society, and we literally uproot them from ourselves and we replace them with agreements that are effective for us. So it's not a one size fits all thing, right? We all have different life experiences. Then it doesn't stick to us. It doesn't magnetize to us someone in suffering the effects of that. And then when we start doing sessions, if I start to see three people in a row who have a very similar theme, that's a real wake up call for me personally. Like, okay, what do I need to work on? <laughs> okay. There's something I'm missing here. Right. Um, yeah. God, that's fantastic. A great work too. It really is fantastic work to get in there and flip that belief system and be able to step into a new way of being. That's really powerful work. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Um, yeah, and so that's a big part of it. So I feel like that's something that we people need to do before they go out and start trying to help people because we need to be able to do that in our for ourselves. And then not only are we not picking it up from others when we're helping them, we can say that we've walked that walk. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to say, hey, don't believe. Hey, just turn your belief system around if you haven't actually done it. That's, that's a little hypocritical. Yeah, it's a little hypocritical. Um, all right. And so then after that, we go into the healing modalities like soul retrieval and extraction and psychopump and, you know, all entity removal, all that kind of stuff and session work, 
Um, that's very, um, it's important work, but it, it actually is what under, it's, it's the stuff that has to happen in order for people sometimes to change their agreements. They need to resolve their trauma and then they can change their agreements about the world. Uh, I was relating the story in my in class to my students online yesterday, um, which is that one time years ago, I, I was doing a session for a friend of a friend. This is back in 2000 or 2001. It's quite a long time ago. And he was the type of person who just wasn't receptive to the work at all. He had every argument of the wor in the world about why it wasn't going to help him. And so I spent two hours being a little frustrated and then I walked out of the session and as, as we, were, we were complete and we were walking away uh, to the cars and everything, uh, I just said, you know, just because it's been that way in the past for you doesn't mean it has to be that way in the future. And you could literally see his whole being changed. His eyes changed. Everything just changed. And this, this mass just dropped off of him. And he was a different person after that. And so it's so funny because you don't know, like I thought, oh, in the shamanic work is when we're going to make the change. It didn't have any difference. But as soon as that, maybe it opened the field and made it ready for planting. But as soon as that was, as soon as that was received, as soon as that seed was planted, he dropped decades of self-limiting beliefs for himself. Wow. So, and you never know what it's going to be <laughs> exactly that, that shifts that for people. That's incredible. Do you have another story that you would want to share with us? Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, well, actually, I think I want to talk about something else that we do, if that's okay. Sure. Please. We, we, we do a free, uh, we do a, a free online uh, shamanic journey um, once every two months or so uh, called Healing for the Web of Life. The next one is coming up on January 27th. Um, and the, what we're doing is we're looking at how to help restore humanity's balance at, and role as caretaker of the web of life. Because as I think we can pretty well observe, we haven't been doing a very good job of caretaking the web of life. And, and that comes from um, some changes that happened in human history where humanity went from this animist belief that we are part of the web of life of equal value to our brother and sister animals, whether they're eagles or buffalo or whales or whatever to we are the rulers and the all the earth is here for our use okay and that happened around the time of agriculture and with that came the rise of different types of religious beliefs as opposed to predominantly shamanic animist beliefs we became to worshiping gods and idols and whether they are polytheistic or dualistic or monotheistic, it still shifted to this idea of man having dominion over all things. And God gave man dominion over all things rather than there's a great spirit and we are part of the creation from that great spirit. Those are two vastly different beliefs. And so we do journeys to basically help repair the tears and the fat of the web of life um, to help heal that. And specifically, we, you know, because a lot of times this is so big, we can't comprehend it intellectually. So we'll put the call out to say, we want to just heal the tears in the fabric of the web to help the web reweave itself and to help humanity, you know, step back into our role as caretakers of the web of life. Um, so that's really the mission for me 
right? So I have what I do professionally, uh, visuals and uh, to support myself, but it's linked into a much broader mission, which is helping to humanity to realign with our roles as custodians and guardians and caretakers of web of life. Um, and so what we're doing this next uh, meeting is where it's come up a few times in journey work is that there's a relationship between this idea of patriarchy that is prevalent in human consciousness and unfortunately rather sustainable over eons of history in different cultures and this idea of man having dominion over the web of life. Um, you know, many cultures have described the earth as the female principle, the birthing goddess and the heavens as the male principle, father sky. Father sky. Um, so this idea that man has dominion given by God over all things is a very patriarchal principle. Um, as, as patriarchal as um, any other chauvinistic type of idea that represses women. Yeah, um, power over dynamic. Um, so, sorry again? Oh, the power over dynamic. Correct, yes, that's right. And so we have to look at, well, there's a relation between these two. And if we can shift the one, we can shift the other. And so we've gotten to a point because of, you know, we have 7 billion people on the earth or 8 billion people on the earth and we're so widespread and, and the wilderness areas are either very remote, like in the Arctic regions or deep in the jungle regions, that man has had such a huge impact on the planet that the only way now is we have to change the consciousness. It has to be a spiritual path to help shift our relationship to the web of life. It's not enough to just, oh, we're going to reduce uh, emissions. Well, that's great. That's a good start. But we need more than that. We need a shift in the consciousness of everyday human beings. And one thing that is rather um, encouraging, and though I don't know if he means it in the same way that I see it, uh, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, said something today I saw on the news that said, uh, COVID is a result of humanity's disregard for the loss of nature and living out of balance with the natural world. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, right on. COVID is a result of humanity living out of balance with the natural world. Now, I'm sure he meant very specific practices that were happening in China, but that is is true. And we've seen this, that, you know, the world, if you, if you believe, as I do, that the web of life is one system and the world, the earth, Gaia, has consciousness own that is independent from human consciousness, that that system is going to rebalance itself. Just like when, you know, I have a mosquito bite, my tries to rebalance itself by throwing histamine down there and making the, the skin bump up. Okay. So COVID, in my opinion, is being, you know, and the coronavirus in this and these mutations that are coming forth are really here to help humanity um, slow down to bring the web of life back into balance. And look, you know, we've had lots of treaties on climate and emissions, but none of them reduced air travel the way coronavirus did. <laughs> none of them reduced the greenhouse. You know, when you look around Hawaii, which is a small island, I can see the differences. The coral reefs are coming back from the less visitation. Wow. A lot of the environment is actually restoring itself in six or 12 months. And, you know, we were down there um, in June, only three months after travel stopped here. And I could already see the changes at some of these very popular beaches 
that, you know, little beaches outside of Hanalei were, uh, you know, on the coast in Princeville, where sometimes it'd be like 100, 200 people in a day, way too many for that beach. And nobody was going down there and you could see it coming back and the little baby bird being born and being taught how to fly and the reef was coming back and it's like oh wow look and there's no more sunscreen in the water and you know the clarity of the water in general was was coming back so i i feel that it's been a really big wake-up call about can we step back into right alignment as custodians of the web of life um now whether or not human consciousness changes to catch up with that is a whole nother story mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but bringing that consciousness to it and that awareness of our impact on the environment and that we are stewards of the earth and that it's supposed to be a relationship <laughs> and not a power over a scenario yeah it's amazing thank you for talking about that and pointing that out that's a amazing mission and i'm glad that you're doing it more people need yeah to th- thanks liz and, and, and it is a relationship. That's a really good way to articulate it. And just like a marriage between two partners, it's not going to work out very well in the long run if it's one partner having power over the other. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's just not, right? Yeah. If you, if you, for all you listeners out there, if you've ever been married or in a long-term relationship, guess what? If you try to have power over a partner, they're not going to want to be your partner for a long time. They're only there in that case, because they have no choice and they're subject. Okay. But the moment that they're no longer subject and they're able to have their autonomy, they're not going to want to be in relationship with someone who has power over them and get earth the same way. Okay. The earth, the earth is rebalancing its systems that way. So I don't think we really have a right to cry out as a species as when there's natural disasters and catastrophes or pandemics and yes, it's sad. And individually, there's a huge amount of that is heartbreaking, mm-hmm. right? And as a you know, as a collective, we really need to step up and and take uh, responsibility for how we act as a collective. And that starts with shifting our collective dreams, our collective organizing principles, our collections. Um, and I think we're seeing that play out um, in a lot of different arenas right now as well. We're seeing a lot of struggle of kind of uprooting of, of denialism and things like that as well. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're heading in a good direction. Yeah. We have to just stay focused on, you know, all the positive things that are happening right now and try to not give all of our energy over to all the negative things that are going on. Yeah. Well, so that's right. That, that, the uplifting. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, that's right. And, and, and just like anybody, you know, going through, it's like going through a healing crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you kick it. I know like when I, when I work through my personal stuff and I like to think of myself as being, um, I don't know what the right word is, but self-responsible. Um, I kick and scream. My wife makes fun of me. <laughs> I just tell her, I say, Hey, I say, you know, I'm going through it right now. I'm just going to go sit outside in the yard and, and deal with my emotions for a little while. And, and, and then come back because I, I realized that in that moment, I'm not able to be a good partner. I'm not able to be an effective communicator. I'm a human being, right? Yes. If I do deep healing work on myself and something comes up from my past that I need to release, I'm not in a space where I'll be really present with my family in the way that they need and expect me to be. So what's their self-responsible thing? I'm going to go put myself in timeout. 
I'm not going to put them in timeout. I'm going to put myself in timeout, right? And that's kind of what we need to do to reassess here. And we can look at that, all that stuff that's coming up in society uh, in a conflicted type of way. It's really just a cry for healing. It's coming out with, and a lot of people's beliefs are um, being extremely threatened, right? If you've had your, if your whole life you've believed that you are the dominant one because of your gender or your race, and all of a sudden there's incontrovertible evidence that you're not, you know, that's shocking for people. Now, I don't have a whole lot of um, things to say or sympathy around that <laughs> because it's a, a little late to the party, a little late to the show. <laughs> but at the same time, it, you, I can understand that it is, it's a shock because a lot of people have been raised within a system that have, um, that that's basically programmed them that way, right? It's information bias. If all the information that you have from the time you're two years old is that you're part of the superior race. And then all of a sudden one day you go out in the world and you go, God, I'm not right. That's a huge shock. And, and Hey, you know, how much accountability is for that individual and how much accountability is for the parents, people that raised that individual and and I remember when I was uh, younger, probably in college or maybe even in high school, I saw a documentary and it was shocking to me. Um, and it was somebody who had gone in undercover the d and interviewed members of the Ku Klux Klan and how they were and how they were raising their children. Yeah. And they were interviewing these children and they were saying horrible racist things. And he was getting it on film and they were voluntarily doing that. And what was happening is he was coming back and his point was, look, this is a nine-year-old. What's this nine-year-old going to be like when he's 29? And whose fault is that? And how can we solve that problem? Apparently, we haven't solved that problem yet as a society. Um, but it brought to the forefront that that's important. It's you know, these times that we recognize it for what it is, that this is um, it's, it's like the boil beginning to burst, right? All the nasty stuff that was in is coming to the surface and now it's coming out. And how do we hold space for that as a society without accepting it? Okay. We, we, we have to, we have to accept what is, happening. we cannot condone it mm -hmm. or a lot or, or say that this is okay. So we still, we still need to treat it, but we can't be in denial about what it is by saying, oh no, that's just wrong to have a boil. Okay, you go to the doctor, he doesn't tell you, you're wrong to have a boil. <laughs> but he's going to tell you it's going to hurt. And we're going to have to lance it and get that stuff out. So yeah. Yes, and help usher in the change. What is it I heard recently? Um, it was a meme or something. You're not, you're not accountable for what you were taught, but you're responsible for changing it. For learning a new way. That's right. And you're definitely, you're definitely accountable for your actions and your behavior. Definitely. definitely. Right. And that's a choice we all make. Regardless of what information we've digested and believed, we're still responsible for how we act day by day. And that, that goes right back to the spiritual grounding. When I get my guidance, I need to act on it. Right. I can't just, it's not enough to say, oh, I want world peace and then go out and do non-peaceful actions. Okay, that's called hypocrisy. We can't say that. We, we, can't, we can't act that way and then be in good conscience. We need to ground 
when we get guided about what is right relationship, even if it's challenging, and believe me, when people do coursework, we're confronted with a lot of challenges, a lot of speaking our truth in situations or acting uh, in situations um, that is, can be uncomfortable. We have to actually follow through on that if we're going to get the benefit. And I will say, you know, most of the people who do come to do coursework with me, um, they tend to be in the empathic overgiver rescuer side of the spectrum. And so what we're working is, is how to bring that into right relationships so that we can still be compassionate and loving and giving while simultaneously maintaining our health and our safety and our boundaries. Right. That's really important. We, yeah. That, that, that's a really important message for people that if we're going to be of service, we want to be of service sustainably yeah. because if we're not of service sustainably, then that's not helpful. Then that it implies just inherently, if, if you can't be sustainably of service, it inherently implies that we're not service in order to be sustainable. And then that gets to be a really horrible downward cycle. And, and it's sad because I look at a lot of my friends who are in the medical profession and the conditions that they are placed under in their work. And this is even pre-COVID, right? The conditions that they're placed under the demands on their time through the way the whole system is set up. It's not... How is they going to do their best work if they've just worked, you know, three 18 hour days in a row? Like that's not, that's not a appropriate expectation to place on someone who's doing life-threatening, you know, threat with a life-threatening condition. And yet there are doctors who are out there doing that all the time and sacrificing their own health and their own wellness for that and their own family times. And so I feel like there's a lot of things that have to change within that whole uh, paradigm of doing things so that the people who have invested a lot of time and energy and money into helping others and to school for years and years and asked an amazing scientific knowledge uh, and medical knowledge aren't placed under the stresses that are, are really preventing them from doing their best. Right. And it's not, it's often not about their, individual desire or intentions is about circumstances that they're placed in and they don't have time to learn about nutrition or holistics or or complementary therapy or a rare doctor that does take the time to do that because their schedule is packed with 15 minutes appointments from you know 8 a.m to 6 p.m plus all the emergencies and other hours and shifts that they have to do so you know, my God, they want to meal, say hello to their wife and go to sleep at the end of the day. And that's well-deserved. So it's not, you know, we, we need to kind of look at that again, working on the, the consciousness of uh, where we are as a society and being of service. Yes, I agree. And how can people reach you and what do you have to offer? Okay. The easiest way to reach me is through my website, which is shamanicspiritmedicine.com. Uh, you can also email me at shamanicspiritmedicine at gmail.com. And primarily what we are offering is a training program in applied shamanism. And it's a three-part program with the fundamentals of shamanism, uh, our intermediate training, which is shamanic section, self-care and personal growth, and our advanced shamanic healing techniques. We also have a couple of elective courses in energy, body, awareness, and healing as well as in uh, a professional development group that meets afterwards to help people get their practices going. Um, 
most of our coursework is online and has been online for the past four years. It's um, fortunate in being able to be at the forefront of that online training. Uh, basically because we do live isolated out here on Kauai, there were a lot of people who couldn't take the time off, couldn't take two months off and hang out with us and learn what I do. That was, that was just the, that was just the instigation of, of it, uh, the initiation of it. of like, oh, I'm going to come for six weeks and learn what you do. <laughs> Great. Um, um, most of our training is now online. We do offer a couple of workshops uh, on Kauai every year. Um, and that would be the best way to reach us. And we also have a wonderful group of alumni who have graduated through the program who also do healing sessions as well as myself. And so people who are interested in shamanic sessions can contact me as well and happy to refer you out to some of our amazing practitioners. Awesome. And what would you like to leave our listeners with today, Scott? Um, thank you for listening and for being open to this idea of restoring our roles, stepping into our roles as caretakers and guardians of the web of life. I truly believe that that is the only way that we can move forward uh, in order to preserve the earth as we know it, uh, a harmonious organism. Now look, the earth is gonna continue. It's just humanity's niche on the earth that might close rather quickly. Okay, so I'm not worried about the planet as far as the planet, but as far as uh, homo sapiens being on the earth and being in large numbers on the earth, living in with relative ease and comfort as we do today, um, we need to step it up our game and apply our technology towards how can we live harmoniously with the web of life? How can we use our technology further our roles as caretakers and custodians of the web of life. Aho, I agree. Scott, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and listening to everything that you've brought today to today's talk. It's amazing. What a gift you are. You're such a light and blessed to have you on this planet. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, hopefully you'll make it out to Kauai again someday. Yeah, I'd love to. Sounds like great work. I'd love to check out what you've got going on. And everybody head on over to shamanicspiritmedicine.com and check out what Scott has to offer. It's fabulous. Scott, this has been a great talk. And find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Raise the Vibe with Liz and my website at Liz's Healing Touch. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.